a track that turns an alarming sound into a lo-fi banger. An incredibly immersive remix by a genre-bending artist. And the voices of many channeled into a singularly emotive song. You're listening to Themes and Variation. Themes and Variation is a podcast about music and perspectives brought to you by the online music school, Soundfly. I'm your host, Carter Lee. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Themes and Variation. We've got a very fun one for you this time around as we are digging into songs that use found sounds. If you want to hear a seatbelt alarm used artistically in a track, we got you. If you want to hear some weird metallic shimmers, no problem there. The three tracks featured on this episode all use this unique technique in their own special way. Joining me on this treasure hunt for found sounds is, of course, my frequent co-host, Mihaela Lee, and we're joined by our good friend and incredible producer, Sam Friedman. Sam releases his music under the monikers Nerve Leak and, more recently, Past Palms. His incredible music has been featured on popular Spotify playlists and praised by major publications like The Fader, Bullet Magazine, Ear Milk, Nest HQ, and many more. Seriously, check out Past Palm stuff. It is absolutely remarkable. And if you'd like to actually work with Sam on your own music, he is one of our incredible mentors. Drop us a line at support at soundfly.com and we'll make it happen. We get into all kinds of things on this episode, like where we might go to get our favorite found sounds, how found sounds can create memory in music, and Sam shares his journey from guitar shredder to electronic music maestro. So without further ado, let's get into the episode, Songs That Use Found Sounds. Folks, time for another Themes and Variation. Joining me today, of course, is Mihaela Lee. Mihaela, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Carter, and yourself? Doing great. Uh, and joining us, a very, 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 very special guest, Sam Friedman. Sam, how are you doing, man? I'm very, 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 very good. Thank you. How are you guys? I gave you some extra varies <laughs> on this one because I am super excited that you're joining us. Guys, today we are talking about songs that use found sounds. So mm -hmm. a very kind of like, I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Um, you know, we're talking about tracks that use the producer's environment around them. Maybe it's their home. Maybe you're going out for a walk in nature or anything. I have a very fun kickoff question for you guys. So picture this, you're given one hour to record the only found sounds that you'll be able to use for the rest of your musical life, which oh, could geez. be you know, just the rest of your life in general. Where do you get those found sounds? So I, this is an easy one to answer for me because I have recorded found sounds um, plenty, um, all, just like on my phone and stuff to sample in my music. And definitely the most rich place was when I was in Thailand. I went to this island called Kolanta, and it's kind of like rainforesty, but also kind of like a beach island town. Even just the stillness of like insects making noises, the little like rustles in the woods and like the palm trees blowing. It was just such a rich place in terms of interesting textural sounds. With um, your preference towards nature sounds, is it then kind of tough for you living in a city or is that just as inspiring? 
It is a little bit different because I don't really find city sounds to be that relaxing, um, right. which is interesting because the song that I chose has a lot of city sounds in it. Whenever I'm doing like sampling in my music, I almost always stay away from like the city samples packs, you know, the, to me, just like trains and taxis and stuff like that. It's it's uh, very distracting. I mean, it just depends on the style of music you're making. You know, some people I think it works great. But for me and what I prefer, I want the found sound to almost blend into the background. So right. if you have like a car honking or something like that, it's a very, it, you know, it kind of is almost jarring. Yeah. Hey, have you uh, have you had the chance to think about where you would spend this <laughs> one hour getting the only found sounds you can use for the rest of your musical life? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing, I shouldn't say it's interesting. That's an assumption and it probably isn't interesting. <laughs> but one of the things about how I make music I don't really consider myself a producer. Um, I'll use a DAW, but more as like a writing tool. So the way that I've used found sounds in the past hasn't been so much like this is a specific artistic choice as production is not my great strength. So I use it almost as a crutch to make it so I can humanize the demos I'm putting together. Mm -hmm. um, and then if the actual found sound makes it to the final track, it's like a happy thing that happened. <laughs> so the only found sounds I've really incorporated are like, well, the dog has made it into some things actually yes. now that I think about it. But the only found sounds that I've really used are sounds I can make myself, like with whatever was in reach or whatever, like, you know, my body or like the fact that like a bottle of aspirin is within arm's reach or mm -hmm. a water bottle that's half full or whatever. So yeah, for me, it's more like I was trying to emulate a more organic instrumental sound mm -hmm. without having the production chops to do that quickly. Mm -hmm. But that like, I feel like you're asking me where my ideal vacation would be. And I just said my house. <laughs> no. And that sucks. no, this is work. This is work, man. This isn't vacation time when you got to get found sounds. Um, I... I did give, because I came up with a question, so I was able to give it some thought, obviously. <laughs> I think it's really easy for me to pick uh, maybe the Rocky Mountains in, in Alberta, something that, you know, I'm not from the Rockies. I'm from close enough to the Rockies that, that I spent a lot of time there. And there's it's so many different sounds you could pick up in the woods, um, near the mountains, climbing mountains, hiking, doing all that stuff. So I like that you both went nature. I think when I listen to music that uses found sounds, I tend to like things that incorporate sounds that are just kind of everyday you know like sounds from like a warehouse or mm -hmm. like somebody walking downstairs it's really interesting to me how a good producer can make those everyday things magical mm -hmm. absolutely uh speaking of of making things magical and i'm ready to dive into some found cool. sound music you guys uh, ready to listen let's do it yeah
So we are listening to Tennyson's Lay By. Uh, had you guys heard Tennyson before? No, this is the first time. Like on playlists, you know, like if you yeah. go on YouTube and there's like IndieWire playlists and stuff. Yeah. They'll always eventually show up. <laughs> it's like, they are, I don't even know. Is it they or is it a he or a she? Uh, well, I, I do have information on that. So I first things first, this one was, again, this theme was really hard. I know, Sam, we were talking back and forth. And uh, you had suggested something along the lines of like found sounds and samples. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, you'd be perfect for that. And I thought I would be able to find a track pretty easily <laughs> because I, I do use found sounds. And I thought that it was and it is more ubiquitous, but it's ubiquitous among like like maybe more underground and like lo-fi beat making producers. And which is music that I absolutely love, but like finding information and finding those tracks <laughs> and finding like what songs use found sounds. So I posted in, in the Soundfly Slack. So guys, I I, I kind of can't find a track. I need a little help here. And Martin Fowler, who listeners will remember from our first episode ever, songs from the first album I ever bought, to the rescue again. He's just he knows he's forgotten more about music I think than than I have even learned. Especially when it comes to just like different styles of music and and genres and stuff. Um, but he he shared this Tennyson track like what. I was like, oh, yeah, I know I've heard this track, and but I just couldn't find enough info about Tennyson. So then I kind of went off and was, like, trying to find some other stuff. I was thinking about maybe I'll do something from Pet Sounds, right? Like, they, you know, that would be That's fine. That's a famous found sound album. Yeah, <laughs> that'll work. But then a little more research, and I found out that Tennyson is from Edmonton, Alberta, where Whoa. I'm from. Hey. And it felt kismet. It felt <laughs> like I have to go Oilers indeed. <laughs> but no, I was like, oh my God, like I, something feels right about this. I have to do this. I, did, I went on a deeper dive and found this track, Lay By, and I was just blown away. They are becoming an artist that I will continue to listen to, I think, forever. Mahe, to answer your question, this is really awesome. It's Luke and Tess Preddy, uh, brother and sister group hmm. from Edmonton, Alberta. So that's awesome. I was like, that's so sick. That is so sick. I believe uh, Luke is like the producer and, and keys player, and, and Tess plays drums and percussion. Artists along these lines that I love, Mind Design. So I'm just going to be totally honest with you. Emotionally, this song simultaneously calms me down and stresses me out. <laughs> is it the seatbelt alarm it that stresses you out? It is the seatbelt alarm. Okay. It just really it, makes me feel super tense, I, but then it calms me down at the same time, and I'm confused by it. It's, and I like it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I like the song. But just emotionally, there's a little part of my heart that like is rushing the entire time I'm hearing it because I just want the seatbelt to snap. <laughs> I... I don't get that feeling from it. Mm. I get I get good feelings from that. See, to me, it feels like there's, you know, you got a friend that just got in your car and, and they just haven't put the seatbelt on for a little bit. And it's like, it gives you that nostalgic vibe. Sam, your your first impressions of, of Lay By by Tennyson. So first I'll say that I didn't even really register that it was the seatbelt sound. I just haven't, you know, living in New York City the last six years, I'm, I don't have a good relationship <laughs> with cars. I knew it was, yeah. a, I thought it was the sound of like when you open your car and it's like kind of on and it's like dinging. So I kind of pictured it in my head that you were sitting 
in a parked car with like the door kind of open and then that sound was going on but the the seatbelt thing makes more sense once the beat kicked in and everything it just kind of uh like blended into the backdrop and i was Mm. actually thinking about it Mm. and it was kind of interesting because if you started the song halfway through would you realize that it was a car sound or would it just Mm. be maybe like a synth or something that's just kind of repeating in the backdrop because there are a lot of songs where you have this kind of like you know I wouldn't say it's quite staccato, but it's almost like a staccato kind of note just over and over, like a rhythmic thing, Um, almost like you have like a tremolo or an auto filter on it or something, and it's just kind of sitting in the backdrop as a loop. And so once the track is built around it, you kind of learn to ignore it. Where, But the way they've done it cleverly is that they start off the song and and it's like you know it's the car sound, and then the song ends and you know it's the car sound. So it's kind of like this... So to me, again, with the idle car, I was kind of thinking of it as almost like a friend inviting me into their car to listen to their song. And then I got out of the car. (laughs) That laugh that, that is sampled is just so sick. It like, it's not just using a laugh gratuitously to put ah, let's put let's put a laugh in a song it feels rhythmically appropriate yeah. to to use and it kind of locks in with that break and when that snare slaps it's just really 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 impactful i think partially because that laugh is there but yeah going on to to what really hooked me on this track was is kind of the arc of it it's so beautifully arranged it's very repetitive harmony but there are so many twists and turns Mm. but the way you can stretch that out is like so many different layers of sound so many different um synths uh, obviously the found sounds at play some i have no idea what they are many of them (laughs) i have no idea what they are just the the we know what the car sound is and then beyond that um i think the mix and part of the arc the mix is super creative the bass is up front present and punchy So the changes uh, are really just F major 7 to D minor 9 to A minor 9 and then back to F major 7. That loops for most mm. of the track. The bridge, it's a little different. But that that car sound, whatever it may be, uh, is an E. So it works as the major 7 on the F major 7, the no. 9 on the D minor 9, the 5 on, on the A minor 9. And it's just it's just sick. I, I love things that that will flow through bars harmonically i love when they do things rhythmically which this this track also has that stuff that floats over the bar mm-hmm. it's just so so sick and and really really impressive harmonically that you got that sound and that was i'm assuming the basis for the entire track it honestly kind of reminded me a little bit of like that one hip-hop beat that uses the iphone ringtone To do something that ambitious and succeed is actually not easy. And I think, Carter, the yep. analysis that you did um, and Mejia that you heard as well um, about the way that they wrote it into the track really took a lot of effort because anyone could get that, you know, car sample and then just start building beats around it. But to actually make it kind of act like an instrument and kind of going back to what I was saying earlier, like if you just tuned in in the middle of the song, you might not know it was that car sound. You might have actually thought that it was a part of the instrument. And um, I think that that's really great.
dopest thing about the sample to me, and Sam, you had a really awesome representation of what that sample meant to you and what it framed. To me, it framed the track being a journey in itself. Like you, you start getting into the car and then the way that the track ends very abruptly. Feels to me like you got in the car, the track is a journey, you're just kind of rolling through, and then at the end, um, it's, it's framed by like, you've reached your destination. It reminded me a bit of uh, the end track on Frank Ocean's Channel Orange. The song is literally just called End. One of my favorite sounds on this track is uh, at around a minute 30, we get this very fluttering 30-second note uh, kind of clave-esque percussion sound. Very fly low or knowledge, I think, kind of kind of inspired. Um, I have no idea what the sample is, but really dig how the pitch kind of gets pitched down a little bit and flips up. I want to listen to that with you guys right now. Yeah, I hear like a clave kind of sound as well that you were talking about. Um, it sounds like it's just pitched up really high and they're just like running it really hard. And then they're using some kind of um, pitch um, effect to automate it and bend it down and bend it back up. Yeah, no, that that's really that actually reminds me of um, like a very, like you said, flying lotus kind of thing, because he does stuff like mm -hmm. that all the time in his music. And it adds a lot of rhythmic movement, um, but yeah. also a sense of melody as well, because there is that note to it. bridge yet it feels like everything kind of is in its right place there's not like a it doesn't feel cluttered to me at all um my favorite part of the bridge is you maybe heard that da, 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 like there's a there's a triplet repeated figure except that every second eighth note it's like accenting every other eighth note so I gotta try and explain this. Yeah, can you do it while dancing? I can't do it while dancing, but a very slow. But listeners, Carter's dancing while he does this. I'll just count the triplet and then maybe like snap on the on the. Do you need us to help? No, you can't leave. No, I got it. One, two, three. 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 Right. So it then floats over the the triplet. It floats over the bar. It's so cool. Yeah, it gives it a really nice respite because you know. I love songs like this where you essentially just have a loop that is playing over and over and over that gets built upon and built upon with little breaks and pauses. Um, mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of Fortet. He had this yep. like little, twi little Twitter Q&A where he was like, you know, just answering questions from fans. And they were like, how do you, you know, keep your arrangements interesting? And his advice was super simple. It was like, do something until it's boring, then switch it up. And I was just like, that's, yep. I was like, that's the most simple advice 
But it's so true. And I feel like this track does it perfectly. And that bridge is really just the perfect little respite. And I love how the beat reduces to this little snap. And there's all these mm. little sounds going on. And you've got the alarm just mm. really buried, like tucked under there. And like you said, Carter, those sounds in the backdrop. Um, it just really gives you a nice culminating feeling before it takes off again. This is Burial's remix of the massive attack song Paradise Circus. If you're familiar with the original song, it's got a very kind of upbeat arrangement. There's lots of claps and and lots of uh, melodic percussion. It's very kind of like a triumphant indie song. We can roll ourselves over because we're basically took that track and just completely flipped it on its head, stretched it out to almost 13 minutes and created his own universe, you know, with this song. And it's very, very hard to even recognize the original without the vocal. Without that vocal, it's a completely different thing. And he even messes with the vocal a little bit as well. And he, you know, is inserting all Mm -hmm. these other different vocal samples in there that I don't even think are from that track. Um, And he's rearranging the lyrics in his remix a bit too. So this is one of those examples of an artist taking the remix challenge very, very seriously and (laughs) interpreting it into their own, you know, like I said, his own little world. Hey, Maya, what are you up to? Just honing my skills with Soundfly's newest course, Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live. You mean it's out? You know it, and it's a fantastic resource for learning to create music using one of the most versatile and innovative digital audio workstations on the market. Speaking of innovation, isn't Live 11 coming out sometime soon? It is indeed, my friend. And Intro to Music Production in Ableton Live even includes a sneak peek at some of its new features. You can definitely go through the course with an older version of the program, too, though. And does it have the kind of in-depth explanations, engaging activities, and practical suggestions I've come to expect from Soundfly? It sure does. Plus, whether you choose to go through it on your own, via the subscription, or with the guidance of a personal Soundfly mentor, the online Slack community will be ready to support you along the way. Wow, this sounds like a great way to get going on some of my musical goals for 2021. Is there anything else I should know? Just that if they'd like to become subscribers, listeners of this show should go to soundfly.com and use the code themes at checkout. That way they'll get a major discount. That's themes in all caps, right? Yep. Fantastic. I'll be sure to let them know. While you're at it, would you mind reminding them that Soundfly's mission is to help musicians make meaningful progress on their learning and creative goals? I can definitely do that, Mejia. In fact, I have a feeling they already know. Thanks, Carter. All right, I'll let you get back to the show. 
and I'll let you get back to intro to music production in Ableton Live. When I was looking up like when it was released, I was like, oh my God, 2011, that's like 10 years ago. Wow. I was yeah. Yeah. I was still living with my parents. I, I think I was in college. I may have been in high school. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Shortly after uh, you were born. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, and I was, I was still living with my parents and I was in my childhood bedroom. And at this point I was like obsessed with burial. And I really didn't know a ton about production at this point. I mean, I had like a copy of Ableton, but I was a total, total novice. And mm. and I'm sitting there in my childhood bedroom at this little workstation that I have, and I'm painting because I was taking art classes. Um, and and I just put on my headphones. And at the time, the song hadn't actually come out. There was just a radio rip. So it had played on BBC Marianne Hobbs show. And you can hear her talking over the song in this YouTube version. And she's just gushing over it as if it's like a newborn baby and like talking about it as if it's the most beautiful thing she's ever heard. And so you're kind of listening and you're like, all right, like what, what's the hype behind this thing? (laughs) And then the headphones come on and you're just like, you just get lost. It just washes over you and takes you over. And I must've listened to that YouTube stream like a thousand times. And I'm (laughs) I'm not even lying. I did the like YouTube to MP3, put it on my iPod because this is back when we used iPods and I listened to it everywhere. I don't know if you guys have ever had this experience. It's kind of like a little bit uh, nihilistic to to have and think about, Mm -hmm. but I've definitely heard pieces of music where I'm like, the first thing that comes to mind is like, I want to die listening to this. Like when I die, this is what I want to be listening to. Or like, I want this played at my funeral. Like, you know, it almost feels like a very like, um, your like final decision, yeah. but in the world of music, you know, people talk about your last meal. Sometimes I'll listen to a piece of music that's just so stunning that I'm like, mm-hmm. this is it, this is the one. If it was on a last meal tip, like 12 minutes, you get a little extra time. I know, so right? That's, yeah. that's, not, that's a pretty good selection I just mean, for that. I just did the math and Sam, you've given this song roughly eight and a half days of your life already. <laughs> okay, that sounds very, very doable. In which case, maybe I can yeah. do it like 5,000 <laughs> times, maybe 10,000. I think one of the first things that will stand out to people is the use of vinyl noises. And so when you think of when the record stops playing and it just kind of hisses and you hear that crackle, almost like a fireplace, that's all over this remix. And it's all over mm-hmm. Burial's music. And he really kind of pioneered that sound as a use of ambience and texture. And I remember reading an interview from him. A part of that was from him listening to these pirate radios growing up and, you know, having all this static and crackle on these, you know, um, rips that he was listening to and wanting to emulate that in his recordings. And so when you listen to the Paradise Circus remix, you hear a lot of different vinyl static. That's the thing that's interesting is, you know, you can go to any, you know, splice or whatever, type in vinyl crackle and get a bunch of samples. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll find one that sounds good and they'll just kind of play it throughout the track and it'll just serve as a texture underneath everything. But if you pay attention to Burial, his vinyl samples, they're always moving and they're changing and they're going from the left ear to the right ear, the front of the mix to the back of the mix. And it almost sometimes sounds like the song is like trapped in some type of gunk and it's trying to get out and the crackle's shifting around and like pulling you in and out of focus of the song. And so 
that to me, just his use of vinyl crackle alone is really fascinating because it's a texture, but it's almost an instrument as well in the way that he uses it. Um, the next big thing that you're going to recognize is the use of rain. And that might seem a little cliche. You know, you might think like, oh, going to YouTube and going to lo-fi beats to study too. There's rain <laughs> with a couple jazz chords and a hip hop beat. But you got to remember that Burial was doing a lot of this. I mean, this record came out in 2011, but Burial was doing a lot of this stuff back in the early 2000s before it was mainstream. And a lot of it comes from the fact that he's um, from South London. And what he really wanted to do in creating his music is recreate the environment of South London. And obviously it rains a ton in England. And so he just uses these rain samples, but he uses them where they're so far away and they're so buried that you can hardly even tell what it really is 100%. It's just a texture and a sound. If you pay attention to this song and the actual musical elements that's going on, all you've got are just a couple chords, a really simple beat. You've got a kick, a little wood block, a teeny little shaker hi-hat kind of pattern. Every once in a while, he throws in like an 808, but it's all so subdued. And then you've got these vocal samples spread throughout. The vast majority of what you're hearing that keeps the song interesting are all of these found sounds. So again, the vinyl crackle, all the, the variation of those samples, when they get loud, when they get quiet, when they're sparse, when they're heavy, and then the rain samples creating this, you know, kind of dark, moody, England-esque atmosphere. I've never been to London, but I feel like I have from Burial's music. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then in addition to that, you know, and we can play some of the snippets and point it out a little bit more, you've also just got sounds that you don't entirely know what they are it sounds like someone's maybe fiddling with something um maybe like a tape recorder and then you've got a lot of metallic clinking which almost yep. sounds like you have like a trinket that you're just messing with um and then you've got like glass shattering but in reverse it sounds like and mm. slowed down so it's like just coming at you really slowly and there's textures to that but there's also some melodic movements to it um and then he's got these just like weird sharp abrasive sounds that are really loud that he starts from super quiet to really loud and then just cuts them off like a cliff yeah. as a sectional movement um and all of it together just creates this very visceral and alive atmosphere So yeah, listening to this clip, you know, what you hear kind of right away is this big like um, impact sound, you know, this kind of thing. And mm -hmm. he's just put, you know, he's taken something that's very abrasive and sharp and put so much reverb on it and buried it so low in the mix that it gives you, I don't know, like a calming feeling. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I love the way that he takes these sounds that should be scary it makes them feel relaxing, almost like a hug. And then after that sound, you get what I was talking about earlier, that kind of reverse glass sound that acts as the fill. And then once the beat breaks down and it's just very simple and you've got that one note that he's just, you know, sustaining that vocal note, 
got all this vinyl fuzz moving around that just feels like static moving around your head. And what he could have done is maybe brought in a shaker or something like that. Or instead of that reverse glass, he could have done maybe um, like a riser kind of fill with uh, a ride cymbal. And instead of that, you know, weird impact sound, he could have done, you know, uh, like um, a crash or something. All these more traditional instrument things. But instead, he chose to use these found sounds to recreate the same thing and that same kind of experience. And so you're listening to it and it's going along fine, but you're also aware that the sounds that you're hearing aren't musical instruments and it all just wraps together nicely and it moves you forward it kind of reminds me of people who do paintings and will put you know everyday objects in their paintings etc you know um Mm. like i think jackson pollock you know he you you could see like cigarette butts and like you know maybe a cockroach or something from the studio he was in in some of his paintings but there's a lot of people tires yeah you know, but um, there's a lot of people who will add that real life texture in the painting. And I think that that's mm-hmm. what Burial does here so well. And, and, and it makes me think about when I produce my own music and the way that I use found sounds as a role. And so if I'm working on a song and I'm, you know, running up against the wall and I kind of have to ask myself, what does this need? Do I need to write a chord, you know, a new chord change? Do I need to write a new melody? Do I need to change up the drums? Or should I add in some sounds, you know, from my field recording sample pack or something? Do you feel like this track was something that like kind of maybe inspired you to just get better, you know? A hundred percent. And, you know, when I first started producing, Burial was really the, Burial was kind of the gateway drug for me into Mm -hmm. electronic music. Um, I grew up playing guitar and I was very, 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 obsessed with technicality i was one of those musicians who you know i didn't care how good it sounded i cared how hard it was to play so <laughs> yep. i was very very yeah i was yeah. very interested in the musicality of things so to me electronic music was like it was it, it wasn't real i didn't recognize it as music <laughs> I, I thought that it was just a bunch of posers it wasn't good um and they then can't I, even shred man yeah, i know right <laughs> yeah. that's honestly the the way that i approached it at the time And as time went on and I got more and more into music and more and more into experimental stuff, I got really into Radiohead and they, you know, have some electronic stuff to their music, but I think at their core, they are still like a rock band. But Tom York did um, a track with Burial. Through Tom York and Radiohead, I got into Burial. And I remember listening to his album, Untrue, and being like halfway okay with it, you know, halfway into it, but the other Mm. foot still kind of out of the door. Like, I don't know if I want to get into this realm of music. And (laughs) as time went on, I just kept listening to it. And he had this one track called In McDonald's. Um, Great song name, right? Um, In McDonald's? That's literally what it's called. And it's funny because it's the saddest song ever. It is so sad. There's no drums on it. And at the end, there's a sample that says you look different and it's been pitched down really low. And then a bunch of bass frequencies take over the mix. It's so sad and dark.
so fascinating about this track that I would suggest other people when they're listening to to think about is just how sounds around us can create memory and can create you know feelings etc and that we don't think about you know we're not listening to a river and thinking oh that's music etc and but once it finds itself in music and it's paired with an experience that you're used to having as an emotional experience, you know, where you're listening and you're either happy, you're sad, you're dancing, etc., or you're just relaxing. And then once those things start to pair together, you know, what does that create for you and how does that change something for you? We are listening to the song Lifeline by Imogen Heap from, I guess, 2011. Uh, Is this a song either of you had heard before? No. And it's funny, like, I always feel like she's somebody that musicians always know of, but is not as well maybe known universally as she as she should be. And I could be totally wrong. I mean, her her songs are right, because like hide and seek in particular was used in so many TV soundtracks. Right. Because it is what you say. Mm, it is what we need. You decided this. What you say. But I, I agree. I think she is kind of a musician's musician in a lot of ways. Or she's an artist artist. I shouldn't limit her to music. But yeah. So so no, neither of you had heard this one before? No, no. I had heard it before this podcast, before I started the prep. Obviously, I heard it before we started taping. That'd be super unprofessional of me. But I didn't know what all went into it. I think the best part about doing this podcast for me has been that I'm typically kind of a passive listener from like a story behind the song perspective. Like I don't always know the names of the members in a band and things like that. Digging into the story of how this song was created actually made me like love music again. I don't know about you. There's days when I wake up and I hate music (laughs) and usually I recover quickly, but like it happens. But yeah, the, this whole thing that she created and the way she went about it definitely made me just like feel a little bit better about the world <laughs> and music in particular. I want to share just my first impression. The one thing Please. that stood out for sure is the bass in the chorus is it's like a good bass line. sick. It's a, the line is great, but like the sound is like mm. so sick. kind of interesting because it's an artist that i haven't listened to much but ironically i have listened to a lot because she is sampled all the time yeah one example that comes to mind a beat that every soundcloud producer bows down to uh clams casino i'm god 
he takes uh, one of her songs and just, you know, samples it directly, but also chops it up into a million different pieces. Her voice really served as that seminal soundscape for mm. all these producers creating stuff. So to me, when I was listening to the track, I kept listening to her voice and just thinking, this sounds like Clams Casino. This sounds like Clams <laughs> Casino. Even though it's not Clams Casino at all, and he's the one sampling her. It sounds yeah. like her. It's kind of funny you guys were talking about the bass line. I was like, there's a bass line? I just, the whole time I listen, I'm just hearing her voice. She has a, such a great like, rasp and tone. It's very unique. I do believe that anyone can learn an instrument, and that includes singing. But some people are born with a tone that yeah. is just unmistakable and her voice has that and that's what i'd heard so much on those sample tracks but just listening to the song that you posted i mean i was just enamored by it you know i was not even paying attention to the found sounds i was just listening to her um which i think stands um as a testament to how beautifully she arranged that track absolutely Mm -hmm. um the writing process for this song technically began on march 14th 2011 it was released to the public on March 28th. So that's roughly two weeks. And that timeline also included making the music video for the song and the album artwork. That time frame is impressive for a lot of reasons. You know, these days people pump out songs really quickly, but is, is the quality always there? A lot of these, you know, incredible artists do have to take a long amount of time to really right. be intimate with their work and put it out. And so for her to write this song so quickly and for it to be such a high quality and have such an emotional impact, um, it, it kind of makes me think about a lot of artists talk about their best ideas happening, you know, in an afternoon or something. Mm-hmm. And you honestly become kind of a vessel for the idea. Mm-hmm. So... Here's what happened. I believe it was March 11th when she issued the press release for this song. Its working title was Heap Song One. <laughs> I do that too. I, I, that's how I name like my working title. It'd be like CL track. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to read to you directly from the press release, which you can still find on the internet on her, one of the subsites that she has. Imogen Heap will release the first song and video from her new album on the 28th of March, 2011. However, the catch is she hasn't written the song or any other material yet for the album. The album will gradually reveal itself over the next three years as every three months Imogen will write and release a brand new track, video blogging as she goes. Rather than wait and release all the tracks as an album in the conventional way, Imogen plans to put the songs out as soon as they are ready and keep them relevant to the time they are created. Um, here's the interesting part. (laughs) Bear with me. With this first song, working title of Heap Song One, Imogen will turn the tables on her audience, inviting them, in essence, to begin the album as they become the spark of inspiration. It could be a word or the sound of twigs breaking in someone's back garden that spins her off on a tangent from the most intimate, humble seeds of the song to its blossomed release into the big wide world. So, she had a schedule that she published and asked fans to submit different things on different days of that two-week cycle. Wow. So March 14th, she called for what she called Sound Seeds, but that was essentially found sounds. Fans from all over the world sent her random noises, and she went through and picked the ones that spoke to her and built the foundation of this track on day one. Wow. <laughs> day two, 
people could submit words to a word cloud and she picked the ones who that came often and used them as the bones for the lyrics for the song. Wow. Uh, approximately 4,000 words were submitted. She's got a devoted fan base. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's such a great interactive way to make music. You know, you're kind of giving the fans insight into the writing process and inviting them along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had a video blog on Ustream. Fans could watch her actually go through samples. They could watch her put things together. She did a little video blog every day of this process. And there is a mini making of this song documentary on her YouTube channel. And one of the coolest moments they highlight, fans actually got to see the moment when she came up with the initial melody because she happened to be live streaming and she just kind of started singing. Like you you guys know as composers, the moment you find like, oh, this is going to be the thing people walk away humming is kind of magical. So to see an artist of her mm -hmm. caliber experiencing that is beautiful. Um, so she did say that, you know, certain sounds just kind of fit together like they were meant to be. The found sound that glues this whole thing together is um, the sound of her newborn niece's heartbeat. And she actually wow. even used that to like find the tempo of the song. Um, Shortly before this process started, the tsunami that hit Japan happened. I don't know if you guys remember that. So a lot of the words people were submitting made it clear that that event was on their minds. If you go through the lyrics in this song, you just start to see these sort of shared emotions people were having over the globe. You know, Sam, earlier you talked about being the vehicle for a song. Here's an artist who took this shared sentiment and all these ideas and created something that only she could do, but at the same time exists of its own volition as well. Some of the other interesting things in this, um, there's a short solo section. But so she released just that section and called for fans to solo over that. And That's sick. the solos that she picked, those soloists were paid as if they had come in to record. To have that idea and to execute it in that time frame and to like do like, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. So. Well, at this point, she had released three studio albums. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the thing about making a studio album in the traditional sense is it kind of puts your life on pause. They say, like, to be a great novelist, you need to go out in the world and experience life. And I think the same is true for a great musician. Um, that is absolutely true for, for musicians. But I think so many, unfortunately, get put in a spot where they are not able to make music in that way. Yeah, or like that like college time period where you're just like, oh, I, I, you need to spend all these hours in the shed. Um, sure, like practice, oh. create in a closet as much as it helps. But at a certain point... If that's all you're experiencing of life, you don't actually have anything interesting to say. <laughs> Making beautiful sonic art isn't just about honing your craft in the obvious ways. Finding new things to introduce to what you're expressing to the world is important too. Keep Sam, I mean, we could not 
have had a better guest to break down tracks in this way using found sounds. Uh, I would like to take a moment, certainly, to to give you the opportunity to share with our listeners anything you got coming up, any even past releases that you want to share. Um, yeah, what should our listeners be aware of uh, from the world of uh, Sam Friedman? Yeah, well, the I am working on an EP that's pretty much finished that I'll hopefully start releasing a few singles off of that I want to release this spring. Um, no real details to share yet, except that it is all but wrapped up. And uh, I'm just kind of in the final stages of getting that ready, the artwork and the press photos and stuff. But um, I did put out a release over the summer. Um, it's a two track release called When the Sun Reaches Its Highest Point in the Sky. And I think that there are a lot of a lot of the examples we've talked about here with Found Sounds are present in those songs. Um, it's a two-song release. The first song is called Solar Noon. The second one is called Midnight Sun. And in Midnight Sun, I actually, that was the first time I had really just piled on tons and tons of Found Sounds. So if you listen to that track, there's a this sample that I found of someone like digging dirt. And I just slowed it down and put a bunch of reverb and delay on it. So it's just cascading and, uh, you know, Mm. falling over top of each other over and over. So you have these like dirt shoveling sounds that are just repeating throughout the track. And then you've got, you know, bird sounds, nature sounds, et cetera. And it's kind of creates like a, a really intense climax where it's almost gets overwhelming. And then it eventually all goes away and you just have these intense, slow strings. Oh and then gosh, it kind of comes Burial back. such a big influence on how you make music. <laughs> yeah, really. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that, that was a release I put out over the summer. And it's I wonderful, think, by know, the way. <laughs> uh, thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of Themes and Variation. Thank you so much for listening. We want to know the songs you love that use found sounds. So as always, there's a link to a Spotify community playlist in our show notes. Feel free to add your selections there. Be sure to check out soundfly.com for all of your music learning needs. And hey, if you'd like to work with the one and only Sam Friedman, head to soundfly.com. You'll be able to drop us a line there. And as a very special treat, we're going to play this episode out with the Sam Friedman, a.k.a. Past Palms track, Midnight Sun. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode and a new theme.